this is Kate Magic and you're listening to the Raw Living Podcast. Raw Living is Europe's leading raw foods and superfood supplier and I founded the company back in 2002. In this interview series, I'm talking to some of the people behind the brands that we offer on our shop to find out what exactly is the ethos behind the company. Not just the ingredients that they use and the processes that they use to create the end results, but I'm asking them other questions like how do they show respect for the environment, how do they treat their workers and their relationship to the farmers who grow the crops. All the companies that we work with are putting huge amounts of dedication and commitment into creating products that are benefiting not just you, but also the whole ecosystem, the planet, the people. And with this series, I'm hoping to show insights into that. When you're shopping with these companies, you're really not just investing in your health, you're truly investing in a better world for us all. My guest today is David, he's one of the co-founders of Seggiano and he'll be talking with us about his farm in Italy and the Italian farmers that he works with to produce their amazing range of products. David, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So I'm a huge fan of Seggiano. I'm not sure how I came across it originally, but I know I've been eating it a long time. Your pestos are, I would say, arguably the best pestos in the world. Definitely the best pestos I've ever had. Um, And obviously, I love that they're vegan. Um, Can you just introduce yourself, first of all, and tell us how you came to found the company originally? Well, okay, my name is David Harrison, and with my partner, Perry Eagleton, um, we farm, we've, we, we met at Champino Airport about um, 40 years ago, and uh, we've been farming in, in southern Tuscany, uh, just outside the village of Seggiano, Montamiata, um, pretty much since then. Uh, we've got an ancient olive grove with about 500 trees, some of which are over a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's if you like, the core of our story. We've, we've got a couple of kids and about 30 years ago, um, following a request from, um, from, from some of our, some of our neighboring farms, from some neighboring, neighboring farmers, um, we, we started to promote the local olive oil and uh, we didn't really know what to call it but we called named it after the village and after the olive variety which is actually actually unique to our village and, and the territory around Sajano. the olive variety is called the olivastro sejanese and we we called the brand Sejano. since then some of our products um are called lunaio which is the nickname uh, given to people from Sejano uh, mm. by other communities around there in some of the local songs lunaio means uh, sort of moony or loony mm. people who mm. uh, look at uh, look at the moon in in the pond mm. um so we we started with our olive oil uh and and uh, since then we've slowly added um other products our roast artichokes which some people well i hope lots of people know about which is very much one of our iconic products that's produced by 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 a, a small local uh 
um, artisan family uh, producer about four kilometers down the road. Um, our pasta, our certified organic pasta, Tuscan pasta, that comes from the Val d'Orcia, just on the other side of Monte Amiata, the Mount, Mount Amiata, which is which is where the village of Sergiano is placed, is positioned, is. And uh, slowly over over the last 30 odd years, we, we've just been adding what we consider Italy's most best products, most artisan products from small producers up and down, up and down the whole of the Italian uh, peninsula. So what inspired you to set up the farm initially? And do you feel like there's something special in the soil there that makes the products taste so amazing? Well, Monte Amiata uh, is an ex-volcano surrounded by mm. lots of hot pools and is a, is a magic area. It, it, you know, it was um, sacred to the Etruscans, uh, you know, to, I wouldn't say we own the trees. We are, you know, we are, we look after the trees mm. in our lifetime. There's no sense of sort of ownership really, but to, 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 to husband, uh, an olive grove with some trees over a thousand years old mm. obviously is, is something special mm. um so yes there is there is some there is something very special apart about this particular part of the world and what inspired you to do that initially i i was after university i went traveling um out, you know, out to India, Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, you know, a long time ago, around about 1977, just before the Shah was deposed, just before the Russians invaded Afghanistan. And when I got back to Europe, I couldn't settle in the UK. I, I'd met some friends. I'd made some friends, some Italian friends um, on the road. And I ended up in, I ended up visiting and staying with them in this little hilltop village called Pitigliano on the other side of Montagnata in Tuscany and to make a living it was farm laboring so uh, it was hay baling in the in the summer mm -hmm. it was uh, picking grapes picking olives um wood um um working in the working in the forest in in the winter so it it just it just happened mm, amazing um, can you tell us about the basil? Because obviously that's really integral to the. You want to know about the basil pesto? Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you, do you God grow bless the basil? The basil or... pesto. God bless <laughs> the basil pesto. I, I think that in many ways, the what, what I like about the basil pesto, apart from all the sales, which is obviously. Well, I have to tell you, there's over a thousand products on our website, and the kilo jars of pesto are in our top twenty bestsellers. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's that's good to know. Now, it, uh, um, apart from our our oil, um, well, in terms of units, our basil pesto is is our bestseller. But we've got 170 SKUs now, 170 items. Wow. I mean, it's a really substantial um, uh, 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 range, um, all of which, as far as we're concerned, are best in category because that's that's what we do. Right. We we would never. And it's not like we 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 never set out to create a brand. We did the oil, that's fantastic. But and we added the artichokes, they're fantastic. The, and slowly we just added things. And after a bit, we realized that we had um we were we were working with the best products we could out there. So it would be crazy for us at that point to do anything but make sure that the next 
product we added to the range was best in its category. Mm. But back to the basil pesto, what, what I think is interesting about it is that it, it really underlines the principles of, of, of real food uh, um, because very simple ingredients and, and you know, you people now start to read ingredient lists and we all know the longer the list, mm. the worse the product, I suspect. Or I'm pretty sure about that. And the basil pesto is just f five very, very simple ingredients. Uh, the, the, the basil and I don't know if everybody knows about quidding, but that's the order in which you put the ingredients on a label. And the, 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 you have to put the list in the correct order in terms of right. percentage. So obviously, if you see sugar at number one or number two or number three on an ingredient list, you know that there's an awful lot of sugar, too much sugar in it. But anyway, back to the basil pesto, five simple ingredients, the, 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 the basil leaf, which is grown to organic standards, um, cashew nuts, pine nuts, um, extra virgin olive oil, which is always a very important thing for us, uh, and sea salt. Uh, five simple ingredients, unpasteurized. Um, there you go. Yeah, everybody, anybody who hasn't hasn't tasted it, we, so we, you, we suggest you do. <laughs> do you have a specific uh, basil farmer? Like, there's a lot of basil you must get. We through. work with. <laughs> we work with about. Now, I mean, yeah, we're we're not we're no longer a little brand like we used to be. Even though we, you know, we don't sell into supermarkets, where you know we we've got a, quite a big business in in the US now, selling to the whole food chain out there. But but uh, we work with, I think, around about forty of Italy's best wow. producers. So the 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 family that make our our basil pesto also do our tomato and basil pesto and um our what our black uh, our tuscan kale pesto i don't know if anybody mm, yeah i love that one. delicious um so we we as i said 170 products um or so 40 different producers you can do the maths on that we 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 go to we the producers we don't just take their full range we take the best that they do. We'll work right. on recipes with them. So the basil pesto, they didn't do it with extra virgin olive oil. Uh, they do, they do the version they do for us is our recipe with extra virgin olive oil, right. reduced salt, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we, uh, we're very strong on product development. My partner, Perry, uh, she, she manages um, product development, always has done. She manages, um, product selection we work but we work together on that she does all the design side I, I if people if people have seen the Sejano Lunayo brands on the shelves they are they are rather beautifully packaged mm. um and and uh yes can't mm. remember the question so I'll and, stop and um did you intentionally make it vegan we've always no but if you but we did want it um to be raw to want, right. want it to have that fresh taste and if you put in parmesan or, or pecorino romano you have to pasteurize it if you pasteurize right. it you lose the the fresh basil fragrance so it was it was an easy decision i mean our principles from the start have always been provenance sustainability organic where where possible vegan vegetarian uh, clean food 
that that's been our that's that's been where we've been at at the part from the start obviously these are words now that are bandied about there's lots of greenwashing and there's lots of great producers and great great companies out there doing it but there's also a lot of companies making claims that mm. don't really stand up we you know our ethical principles have been have you know were established at the start uh mm. because it's who we are I mean, our basic principle is wouldn't wouldn't offer to anybody else what we wouldn't give to our children mm. fairly simple isn't it How, how's it been to watch the market change over the years if you've been in business that long how's it been to see all this stuff getting more popular we've always been we've never been hugely ambitious in terms of growth i mean we're not a small company anymore but i remember telling my son a few years ago, oh, we've got to 1 million turnover or wh whatever it was at the time. And and I was sort of rather proud with myself. And he sort of looked at me and said, Dad, you've been doing this for, you know, 15 years <laughs> or whatever it was at the time. And he was sort of a bit dot-com uh, generation. <laughs> and uh, that sort of shut me up. And and no, we've, we you know, we've, we like to think, you know, it's, it's principles before profit, um, which I believe is, one of the reasons or maybe the main reason that you you selected us for your, mm. for your outlets in the first place mm. yeah I feel how like has the, how has the world changed how has the retail changed I, I people are more aware of what they're eating which is a good thing yeah 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 I feel like that's the commonality between everyone that we work with it's principles over profit that's a really good way to encapsulate it I think <laughs> um so I love the um antipasti the tomatoes and the peppers tell us about those that's that's actually the company that's the uh <laughs> those are friends of ours I, well I have to say I think 90% of our of our suppliers our producers are our friends amazing um I, I mean the independent grocery business in the UK it's a it's a nice it's a friendly business it's not like the restaurant trade it's not like the supermarket business i think in general we're all you know we're all in it obviously to make a living but we're but we all you know we believe in we believe in 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 principles that we've that we've already touched upon and uh, it's the same with with our suppliers um and obviously you know the core of italian society the, if you talk about italian culture you, you know you're talking about italian food right and, uh, and anyway the people who do the mixed antipasti are just down the road from us you know the grandfather's no longer there but we started working with the grandfather now we're working with his grandchildren wow. um they do the artichokes a lot of the artichokes they grow themselves again that that mixed antipasti is is our um, not, it's not exactly a recipe, is it? It's our um, concept, our creation. Let's do this layered mixed antipasti, and, and we do have this this um, this symbiotic relationship with our with our suppliers because, of course, you know they are they're tucked away in their in their own little community, and and we're out there in the big wide world, so they're relying on us to to give them feedback mm. from the market and. And we're relying on them, obviously, to produce the best food. I think the most interesting thing about, or maybe one of the things that 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 English consumers don't maybe understand, is that uh, behind every or behind nearly every 
artisan or any Italian food producer will be their local uh, university um, because there is there is a lot of um, that your local their local university will 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 have a food technology department because food is so essential uh, to Italian society to Italian culture that you know university every university perhaps I'm sure has has a food technology department um, so there is a there is a strong link between the um, the traditional artisanal way of doing things and sort of cutting edge techno tech, uh, food technology right um, yeah amazing and I, I feel like a big part of why those products are so good because you use the best quality oil most people you get artichokes or sun-dried tomatoes in a jar and the oil is just not great oil but yeah yeah absolutely I know I know do you use the same oil that you it's that not you... oil from my farm and it's not oil from Sejano it's actually an oil from it's actually another monocultivar oil from just in just down in Lazio just down towards Rome um yes yeah, that's a good oil I like that oil and and uh, and some and in our in our organic pasta sauce range, um, we use a, a great oil from uh, from um, a, a Sicilian oil producer, absolutely superb Sicilian oil producer. So we you know we we're always making sure if we need to, but hope but usually our producers don't need much pushing that you know every ingredient. The fewer the better, but make sure that everyone is, you know, is is as good as it can be. So if people are buying the tomatoes or the artichokes, do you recommend that they keep the oil and use it? Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean if you drain off the if you drain off the roast artichoke um oil, I mean it's got that it's got that very um you know, roasted uh flavor to it. So um I'm sure that you've got a good recipe for it. Um, it just, I mean, you know, it depends how creative uh, you are in the kitchen. You know, if you like, <laughs> if you want to have a nice pepper oil, if you if you drain off the oil from the peppers and you've got a, a dish that it works in, it could be a salad, it could be this, it could be that, I don't know. You might want to use it to to make a to make a pasta sauce. Mm. Uh, yeah, would I recommend it? But, you know, you're obviously, you're talking a lot about our sot oilios, about our under oils, you're talking about the artichokes, where you're talking about the peppers you've obviously gone on a bit about the basil pesto thank you but yeah we've got uh as i said we've got a lot of a, a lot of a lot of products we've got great organic pastas we've just we're just launching um an organic range of sicilian certified organic low gluten index um whole grain uh ancient grain sicilian mm. wheat pasta We've got a range of gluten-free pastas. We've got some great organic rices. We've got honey from two two from our from our local beekeeper in on Amiata, or well, slightly south of Amiata, from Lago di Bolsena, and from a Sicilian um, beekeeping uh, family, so sort of five generation uh, beekeeping family. Mm, let's talk about the et cetera, honey, etc. Et let's talk about the honey because that's all raw as well, right? Yes. But honey is a difficult. Calling honey raw apparently is now illegal, as far as I'm concerned. There's some fairly dirty business going yeah. on um, in 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 the world of honey. 
obviously dominated by multinationals trying to stop real honey from making valid claims right yeah so tell, tell us about your honey uh two families mauro pagliaccio and his son giulio um they're now south of of our farm uh on the side of 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 uh lago di bolsena lake bolsena just in ancient etruria uh, um in in northern lazio um fantastic fantastic beekeeper i mean i've never met an unpleasant beekeeper but <laughs> they all seem to be very lovely the oliva family in uh in near siracusa the ancient greek port on the east coast of uh, of sicily um they actually they what's the word not cultivate or grow breed i suppose they breed queens uh right. queen bees and and among other things they you know they make they physically make their own hives um wonderful honeys as well right which is the best seller do you have a favorite well the best seller is acacia people seem to love the acacia honey mm. i mean honey is a very you know if you love honey, you know, you. I don't know which honey you like. I, I happen to like the heather honey uh, mm. from Sicily, uh, but it's very much a personal taste, isn't it? A lot of people like chestnut honey, which is uh, which is has a slight bitterness to it. I can't mm. stand it, but right. uh, it's incredibly popular. Um, but a, our best seller is our acacia. It's because it's clear, it's limpid. It's right. It's I've never seen versatile. carrot honey before. Wild cat. Well, wild carrot. It is another the, the the it's also called Queen's Anne Queen Anne's lace. Um, wild carrot isn't a sort of it's a weed that grows up in the wheat fields of Sicily um, after the wheat has been harvested and the, and there's just the stubble. Uh, you get this um, you get this weed. It's called Queen Anne's lace wild carrot and. Uh, and it produces this very thick, like almost like molasses, mm. uh, um, toffee, honey. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm just curious if you can share with us a little bit of how you look after the olive trees. You said you've got these ancient, this ancient olive grove. Just sounds yeah, so I mean, magical. I mean, pr pruning is a... Pruning olive trees is a really, really interesting subject. Um, we have a very distinctive pruning style. The olivaster is pruned in a very distinctive way. Uh, most most trees, most olive trees, I think it's right in saying, will be sort of um, will be tidied up possibly every year. The olivaster, maybe because it's so ancient, so so the roots uh, and the and the the, um, the 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 main part of the tree is so, is so large and 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 the tree wants to just go up 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 and you've got to climb it to to to, to prune it and there's a limit to how high i can go up a ladder to to pick olives it's you know you know my ladders are only only that high <laughs> they're pretty they're pretty tall but but uh, you know you, you can't send i mean i'm getting a bit old for this game anyway but i can't you, no longer health and safety can i be sending people up 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 a 22 step ladder yeah. to pick olives um but but anyway, we prune our olives with a chainsaw or a saw every four years, like a buzz cut. Oh. Like I'm seeing, I'm seeing a picture of you um, on, yeah. on the page. You know, pretty much like that, or even right. more. Um, so that uh, 
so we have this four-year pruning process. We prune, um, we got 500 trees, so roughly the field, the grove is sort of divided into four in our head, if not sort of that clearly visually. Uh, so we're pre pruning, you know, 25% more or less every every four years to this to this very cut down level. And then then over the rest of over the next three year cycle, you're cutting down the 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 the, the male shoots that are coming off the main the main trunk because they're just taking energy. And you're just trying to I could go on and on and probably a little bit more coherently than I am doing at the moment about olive pruning. I just remember that a lesson I was given um, 40 years ago by this old guy when I was living in Pisciliano. He said, you're pruning a tree so that a dove can uh, can flutter around in the centre. Yeah. So a tree needs to breathe. It needs air. It needs sunlight. Um, um, but obviously you can't prune it too much because you want it to produce olives but you anyway we prune in um now this is the pruning season is it an annual thing 25 percent get this buzz cut every every four years right, right. so every every year every year we're pruning some of our trees so sort of dramatically right and, and then and then, the, and then that wood we are with a machete i'll go round i'm not there this year um, but normally I, with a machete, I'll go round and I'll save, um, you know, um, the wood. I, the, the wood that's not thin, thin, thin. I'll save for our far for our fireplace or fireplaces to be precise, and um, and the rest leave in the field. And every now and again, I like to do a big uh, a big feast in the olive grove and put out, you know, put out a trestle tables and have a couple of fires going and uh, have a good have a good proper barbecue Amazing. sit down barbie is it is it an annual harvest yeah we pick every october november right um it's, it's getting harder and harder um green you know uh greenhouse whatever it's called global warming etc you know we we never used to have olive olive fly which is the curse of of olive oh. farmers um the last four five six seven years you know we're getting we're getting because of the climate change we're getting olive fly which means we're having to put down traps because we, you know our farm is certified organic so um you know that we're limited to how mm -hmm. we can control olive fly um and and we're not actually getting the harvests that we used to get right and then do you dry the olives or no, you take the olives straight to the mill. They're crushed. Right. Yeah, they're they're churned. I mean, you want to tell you want me to tell you how to how you make olive oil very quickly. Yeah. Pick it at the right moment. Get it straight to the mill. It then goes through a crushing process. Now the old style will be the will be the those big olive stones that that we that we all yeah a lot of us can imagine can 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 understand can can see in their mind's eye um and that so you crush you crush the 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 olive uh, nowadays most modern mills even though there are some stone mills still out there thank god but most modern mills um uh put them through this sort of enclosed uh steel box where they're revolving blades which sort of chop them chop them up 
or there are these revolving hammers which sm smash them. Basically, you're making a paste. Mm. You're making your olives into an olive paste. That olive paste then goes into a um, like a churn um, where there's an Archimedes um, screw, which is just churning um, maybe 20 minutes, just churning this paste. And it, during that process, the oil um, starts to separate um, from the solid and the water, the oil molecules um, coalesce. It's 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 a relatively similar process to how you make milk. Mm. Sorry, how you make um, cream and cheese from from ch oh, sorry butter. How you make right. butter from milk? Uh, it's it's a slow churn. Once you once you've sort of started this process and the oil molecules have come together you then put it into a set it then goes into a centrifuge which spins out uh the oil through one pipe right. uh, the water through one pipe and the solids through one pipe that's more or less what it is and then the oil will go through a final centrifuge just to spin out the last uh, of the the last water Amazing. the last molecules of of water and there you go that's 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 a very simplified you know, <laughs> that's that's how you make olive oil amazing david it's been so interesting i'm really yeah really love finding out more about foods that i eat almost every day i probably eat sergiano almost every day <laughs> thank you yeah thank you so much for your time well thank you for thank you for inviting me on on your podcast Thank you for listening you can check out the products we've been talking about by visiting raw living rawliving.co.uk and if you haven't got an account already then do sign up you get five pounds off your first order and also please do like subscribe and share this podcast it really does help <laughs>